Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Christopher J. Henningsen, who is an engineer artist and the author of Mindful Programming. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Of course. Thanks for coming on the show. And we like to jump right in. So if you could start with telling us a little bit more about yourself and what you like to do for fun, that'd be great. Uh, okay. Well, um, grew up in rural Nova Scotia in Eastern Canada. I always had a lot of interests growing up. I was very into spirituality as a kid. Um, also had kind of a talent for math and sciences and wanted to be an inventor. So, uh, bounced around in some, uh, blue collar jobs for a while after high school, ended up going to school for engineering. Uh, and I've always tried to uh, combine my interest in the in the kind of the hard sciences with those more subjective and hard to understand parts of life, and uh, one of the projects that that's most recently read to led to is this uh, book that I was writing, and uh, in general, that's the kind of thing I like to do. I like to be creative. I like to make things, uh, particularly things that are a little bit on the cusp of different disciplines, uh, combining different flavors. You know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, tell us a little bit about the book. What is the premise of the book and kind of what content do you go through in it? Uh, yeah. So the the reason I was interested in this podcast is because it's a book about uh, basically taking the skills that one learns during computer programming and applying that to inner exploration and inner development. And uh, in computer programming, the the thing that's most important is the language. If you understand the language that the computer speaks, then you can speak to it and you can get it to do what you want. And that can lead to some pretty interesting things. And uh, one of the ideas that I explore pretty deeply in the book is about the importance of dreams and the idea that when we dream, um, that's like a language that the different parts of our mind use to talk to each other. Uh, Because different parts of our mind, you know, there's, there's parts that think in pictures, there's parts that think in stories and words and math. Uh, they have to somehow exchange that information. And dreams seem to be uh, the way that that happens. So to me, um, paying attention to your dreams and paying attention to the kind of language that your dreams speak in is uh, a really powerful practice that everyone can do. For sure. So are you, I feel like a lot of people have dreams and then they forget those Mm. dreams. So are Mm -hmm. you a fan of like lucid dreaming? That was something I dabbled in as a kid. Like, do you, Mm -hmm. have you trained yourself to be able to remember your dreams and realize when you're dreaming? Because so many people just forget right when they wake up. I was also a fan of that as a kid and have not kept it up. It was always pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think also, uh, yeah, it, it is something that I did a lot as a kid. Um, and I got kind of good at it, but it is something you have to keep up. But I think for me, there's also um, 
there's value in just seeing where your dreams go when you're not, you know, uh, controlling them. Because once you once you wake up and you realize you're in a dream and you can do stuff, like, that's cool. But at that point, it becomes kind of about the sorts of things your waking mind wants to do. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what I find pretty interesting these days in my life is looking back on the dreams that I've had. I do, I do try to remember them. Like when I wake up, I do. The first thing I kind of do is think back on the dreams I had, try to maybe put words to them just to uh, to give me my, my waking memory something to hold on to but uh, I try to I try to just look at the dreams without the interference of my waking mind because there's a, a part of my mind that thought it was important that I uh, what thought it was important to express that thing as it happens so that's uh, that's more the direction I'm going in exploring dreams these days in my life I got gotcha. you I gotcha. Yeah, I got I got um to the point. I think I controlled one or two dreams maybe, but now I'm still good mm -hmm. at realizing when I'm dreaming, what my dream is and like experiencing it as a dream, which is always a fun, mm -hmm. fun experience because then you can wake up and kind of remember it and it's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's uh there's a lot of I think development that happens in dreams. There's a lot of uh places we go. where there's um, there's some kind of lesson, uh, some kind of uh, message that we're supposed to bring back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, awesome. Tell us a little bit about your motivation. What gets you up and keeps you going every day? Hmm. There's a number of uh, there's a number of aspects depending on the part of my life that we're talking about. Um, so going. Uh, I think going to my day job, for example, that's more about wanting to be dependable, wanting to learn some new skills that I uh, that I'm developing. Uh, and then there's also I I'm one of those people that genuinely does want to make the world a better place. That's um, which I I realize that that's a, a bit arrogant, but it is really a, a key motivation of me, mine to say uh, you know what we could add some beauty here. We could. Uh, We could add some inquisitiveness here. Uh, I I do believe that it's uh, worthwhile to to put our mark on things and to take part in the in the flow of energy that happens and to uh, to really make that the best contribution we can. So the uh, the artist, the art that I do, and the uh, the the writing, the podcasts, all the, these creative outlets that I have, those are. all in some way motivated by the idea of adding beauty to the world, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Talk to me about why you feel that that's arrogant. Hmm. Well, I think it's just become such a cliche uh, in our society. Um, the idea of uh, making the world a better place. It, it's, I think one reason is... It always is associated with a kind of naivete. Um, there's always the idea um, that as one gets older and more mature, that uh, one just kind of learns to accept the world as it is. And that's, I, I think there's something legitimate to that. Um, but I think where that can go too far is kind of um, not accepting the part of you that 
is part of the world and does have something to say. So um, I, I think culturally we do associate those kind of that youthful energy with maybe a, a naivete and an idea that we don't quite understand uh, how complex the things are that we think could be better. You know, the, this idea of, uh, well, who are you to criticize the world? It's so much bigger than you are. And I, I do, I do think there's something to that, which is why I throw the the caveat in there. Um, I do also believe, though, that well, that that is also part of the world, and that's working itself out. Um, but I do like to throw that caveat in there because uh, I know I I know how it comes across. I've heard enough other people say it about things where I knew a little bit more than them to uh, <laughs> to uh, to to try and do it a bit more tongue in cheek than uh, than maybe my, my I otherwise would. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I I can see the point where there would be arrogance, but then I can also see the point where that could become a limiting belief. So I think it's, mm. there's a, there's a line to balance there. Just curious. Do you think naivete is beneficial when approaching such large problems? I'm sure it can be. Um, I think there's a, there's a naivete that clings to the simplicity that it saw originally. And there's a naivete that's just ready to learn whatever lesson comes out. Um, I think those can look pretty similar at first. I think the the naivete of real beginner's mind, like a, uh, a Socratic, I know I don't know anything. Um, I think that can be tremendously valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a naivete that's sort of self-aware about how much it doesn't know. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's not always easy to distinguish even in oneself, uh, what kind of naivete one is dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of that has to do with kind of killing off the selfishness in yourself. Cause I feel like when you're naive and you want to cling to simplicity, at least for me, when I'm battling Mm -hmm. my own head, it's more out of a, I want to be right. That it was this simple Mm. from the get go. Versus like, it's possible, but I need to learn and I need to grow mm-hmm. and I need to humble myself, include other people, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's there's maybe naivete and innocence, which are adjacent in yeah. that kind of a conversation. There's a real um, there's a real curiosity that comes from not knowing everything um, and a real kind of a freshness, bringing a, a fresh perspective to things, which uh, I think doing that from a place of maybe self-aware naivete, we could call it, is uh, really beneficial, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, tell us more about your dreams and goals. What's your vision for your life? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting question. There are some really you know, big, hairy, audacious goals that I've, uh, that I've developed. Like, um, for example, one of the, one of these really audacious goals that I have is to make, um, to make a recycling program that, uh, makes modular buoyant bricks. The, the idea being, um, 
that uh, recycling is it's cool uh it's definitely directionally good but uh, making anything that's recycled is generally a pretty expensive proposition um i was inspired to do this in part by how elon musk got uh people to buy batteries by selling them as you know packaging them with uh, motors and wheels and selling batteries as a luxury good you know when i was in university i studied renewable energy and we could tell that um energy storage was going to be kind of the keystone that uh, if you have these diffuse sources of energy like wind and solar those can compete in the short term with fossil fuels but you need some way of storing energy um and no one could quite figure that out um elon musk figured it out by selling them as luxury goods so i had a similar idea about um recycling particularly recycling ocean pollution um my thinking is and it, it, this is one of those you know audacious goals that i really i might just die without ever seeing this realized which would be uh you know unfortunate but i think if you if you don't know that maybe it's not audacious enough right yeah but uh but this is one of those goals that i've uh been thinking about how do i approach this where if you can recycle ocean plastic to make like a, a buoyant brick um just like stamp it out in some kind of a machine there's a couple like those if you could then make floating structures uh you could market those as kind of you know luxury floating homes floating islands even that uh, very rich people could pay for and you know it wouldn't really make sense to spend this kind of money for a floating home or a floating island but um because you'd have this also dual purpose of cleaning up ocean pollution um you could market it as a luxury good and uh i really believe there's something there it uh, it just hits a lot of notes that i've uh that i've always been interested in yeah so yeah. um yeah in, in terms of audacious goals that's probably the most audacious goal um i have some smaller ones around just doing some doing some novel research in like some of the weirder aspects of uh of the world. I don't know if you want to get into that. I want to get into it. <laughs> awesome. So one of the one of the other I guess uh dreams that I would say I have is um there's there's an interesting thing that I thought of when I was studying uh biology which is that we and you know i i come at things a lot with this uh programmer coder sort of mindset um and i think we come at biology and dna with that kind of a um, a mindset also but um looking at how dna actually works the way it has these pal uh palindromic repeats um it's kind of self referential had the idea that um maybe the logic of dna isn't so much like a turing machine and it's more like the logic of a musical composition and that it has this very self referential and makes sense forwards and backwards um and has a lot of varied repetition i 
was never all that musically intelligent, but it seems maybe because of that, like it's just a fascinating area of research. So one dream I have also is to look at uh, DNA and try to associate it with some kind of a, a musical logic. There's various things you could do, you know, um, there's not, for example, uh, DNA generally has uh, four base pairs. So there's not a lot of four-toned uh, musical systems. Uh, there's four chord songs, but uh, not a lot of four-tone musical systems. But um, there's also like 20 amino acids that sets of three base pairs can produce. So there you're maybe getting into something a little more, like I remember... Um, just playing on, not like playing proper music, just playing uh, on a zither, which is like a 17 note um, instrument and thinking like, wow, this has a really nice sound. I, I like the variety I have here. Um, so I, I do believe, um, and it might be nothing like that, but I do believe that there is a, a possibility of taking a musical approach to uh, DNA design. And I think that would be really cool because um, right now in DNA design, we're at sort of a stage where it's like we have a synthesizer that can make any note, like we can synthesize DNA any way we want, but we really aren't able to predict what it will do. Um, and unless quantum computing gets a lot better, we won't be able to predict it. Uh, in any normal way. But uh, if there is a musical logic to it, maybe that's something that we could, um, even without the ability to really predict what would happen, we'd be able to tell a good code from bad code, the way we tell a good musical composition from a bad musical composition. Um, so that's a, that's something that I think is a rich ground for research. Um, and it's the kind of research that any um, any hobbyist who has a computer um, and can synthesize sounds could uh, could do. So in, in that sense, that's... Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the audacious goal would be actually coming up with something good. But I, I also, I believe in the scientific method, because even if what you're doing doesn't work, uh, at least you found one way not to do it. You know, uh, Edison had this um, was it Edison? Uh, this saying about um, I didn't uh, fail to discover the light bulb. I found ninety nine ways not to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> was that Ben Franklin or Edison? It was probably it was Ben. It, I'm pretty sure it was Ben Franklin. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. So create a recycling program Maybe that Edison. creates modular buoyant bricks. That's B yeah. one. And then yeah. look at DNA and associate it with a musical logic. That's be mm -hmm. yeah I'm, yeah I'm a couple questions about these before we talk about for other dreams and goals mm -hmm. Go can, on. can you already create a modular buoyant brick out of ocean plastic like is it already sort of um so there's someone actually who did this on a one-off um and what he did was he basically collected a lot of uh, plastic bottles um put the caps on, put them in uh, a fishing net, and then put sand on it and uh, and 
grew mangroves through it. So the mangroves hold everything together with their roots. Um, and that works. Uh, this, there's, he lives, I think, in the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, he lives on this island that he built from uh, really just uh, floating, um, yeah, floating pop bottles and uh, sand. The, uh, the, the modular, the, the, making something modular, I'm, I'm sure it can be done. Uh, there's, there's plastic stamps and the like. They're kind of expensive, but um, it's the sort of thing one could do. Uh, the design of the actual modular brick, of the uh, of the floating brick, that would be. Like, I, I'm I'm sure there's an optimal design. Um, I'm just not sure what it would be. There's a lot of things to consider. You know, you'd want it to uh, to stick to other bricks fairly well. You'd want to be able to build different things. You'd probably also want it to make a good wildlife habitat when it's exposed to the ocean. You wouldn't want this thing to be just more pollution. You'd want it to. Uh, have some uh, positive function in that sense. So I think the the design considerations of a of a modular brick of a buoyant brick are a little um, there's a lot of approaches to that really. Um, and I'm not sure I have a great way of figuring out the best one, but I'm sure that more than one of those would work. Um, like okay. I said, someone's done it already with uh, pop bottles and a fishing net. Yeah. <laughs> and can you define modular for us? I think I'm a little confused on how you're using that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, when I when I think of it, I think of it a modular buoyant building unit is, uh, is, the, is the, the term that I think of. But it would just be something that, uh, you know, like a Lego that you can like you can make one thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a small unit that can be built into many different larger units. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. So definitely, you know, actually. Oh, hit me with it. Oh, I, I was just thinking now, like uh, the most modular, um, the most modular atoms are carbon and silicon. So uh, now I'm now I'm thinking if you modeled the uh, if you modeled the shape of it on maybe like a carbon atom, um, that'd be kind of cool. Uh, it has this kind of uh, tetrahedral structure, I think. So, yeah, that that might that might be a a decent way to uh, to go about it. Hey, awesome! <laughs> little little breakthroughs <laughs> on the podcast here. Um, <laughs> all sometimes right. all it takes is another mind <laughs> <laughs> there we go well chris gun to your head you have to create this product of luxury buildings from modular buoyant bricks in the next year how do you spend your time for the next year if you don't mm. do it pull it to the head it's life or death situation how do you spend your mm -hmm. time so there's a uh there's a place called precious plastics which does um it does essentially designs for uh, plastic presses mm -hmm. so what i would likely do is i'd get um i'd get the the cheapest plastic press and probably melt stuff um just over a boiling water in my backyard I'd uh, I'd go to some local recycling plants and uh, get them to get them to sell me um, 
a decent amount of uh, of whatever they would recommend as uh, a, a semi buoyant material. Uh, now, I guess the challenge there'd also be a challenge of um, of stamping things in a way that they are naturally buoyant, but. Um, Oh, I, I think I think that would be doable. Um, I'd have to spend kind of the first week or so, maybe the first two weeks, just thinking really intensely about what sort of a shape I want to go with, and I might end up just copying the the basic Lego shape with an air bubble in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> that might be uh, that might be the best I can do. You know, <laughs> gun to my head. Um, <clears throat> really, I mean, nothing wrong with Legos. They uh, they work pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I, I think what I would do, I would start with that, um, get a get a custom press made, <clears throat> uh, probably melt the plastic, pretty low tech myself. Um, my neighbors would hate me, <laughs> but I'm sure they'd understand if uh, there was a gun to my head. And then um, you know, probably make like a uh, make a raft, invite some local press as a. Uh, as a um you know just uh getting the idea out there mm -hmm. um and talk about the uh the benefits that one could have as uh, as someone who wanted to purchase like a uh, a, a platform out in the uh, out in the harbor i'd be i'd be lucky if i had to do it in a year because i live on a in a port city so I would have access to uh, some kind of a launch platform, and particularly where I'm thinking of making this as in a in a modular fashion, um, it would be possible to transport these bricks and you know assemble them. Um, maybe uh, get some uh, get some people to show up just as a, out of uh, personal interest to help with the assembly, and then yeah, float a float a platform out. Um, I I try to do that maybe around the eight month mark because uh, you know things always go wrong, <laughs> yeah. but um, but at that point, uh, once there's a prototype in the water that people can look at, uh, then I'd probably just try to get as many eyeballs on the thing as possible. Uh, see who wants the the next kind of uh, floating platform. Um, see how it can be made. To be aesthetic, you know, if you uh, if you could rent this thing out as a wedding venue, for example, um, I think that would already be. Uh, I, I don't know what exactly uh, leads to me being executed or not at the end of the year, but I would think if you're renting one place out as just uh, a neat venue that uh, people are actually interested in, there's word of mouth. Um, I think that that would count. So that would be my first. Uh, that would be my uh, first attempt at making the first iteration, and then um, beyond that, you know, it would kind of depend where the interest is. Who who wants to make a large order for these things? If someone does, then obviously uh, you you fill that order. Um, maybe scale up to two brick presses. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. And uh, uh, yeah, at that point, you might be uh, you might be good to go. Awesome. And is Dubai at all an inspiration? Like, can you take anything from the construction of Dubai and will it assist you in your efforts or is it completely irrelevant? 
uh, like you mean the the artificial islands that Dubai is doing? Mm -hmm. It's uh, I I saw actually a TV program on the construction of the um, of the Palm Island. I forget the name of it right now. Um, I think it I think it definitely could. There's um, the interesting thing about this approach is also there's. Uh, There's, I think, conventions around artificial islands um, that nation states kind of try to adhere to. But uh, if you did have some environmentally interested people from Dubai who have this idea of, oh, well, there's a good way to get some oceanfront real estate. Um, unfortunately, you know, you can you can do this pretty close off the coast. Uh, they, The guy I talked about earlier in the podcast, he uh, he does this, um, you know, uh, a canoe ride away from shore. Um, I think the I think the construction methods used in Dubai wouldn't really translate, mm -hmm. but I think the uh, the way that interest was generated and uh, the way that it became this really desirable location. Um, that is definitely very much something I would try to, uh, you know, um, tread in the footsteps of. I gotcha. And now on to the second BHAG, looking at DNA and associating it with a musical logic. How would you know <laughs> when you were right? Hmm. It's a good question. I mean, I would think uh, you'd have to. I mean, any any musical analog of DNA could work. You know, it's um, you you know what the codes are for DNA. So uh, I would think if people like listening to the music that they that uh, that this program. spits out uh that's i would say it's it's a clear sign that i'm on the right track what i think would really make it um obviously valuable would be if um if you can get an intuitive understanding uh so like if uh if a biohacker generating his own dna code in a lab somewhere can listen to to can listen to versions of two alternatives and get an understanding of uh, of the difference it wouldn't necessarily be a difference they can put into words but um if they can tell which one is actually the better design by which song they like better That I think would be uh, an, an incredible success, and um, you could just iterate from there. I think the yeah, sky would be the limit at that point. But um, I think the very first, uh, the very first goal would be to just make an aesthetically pleasing song from, say, a gene sequence. I see, I see, and the logic being correct. Is it contingent on just people liking it, or is it contingent on more than that? Uh, I think people liking it is a sign that there's probably something there. But um, if it can make something that feels very complex to us, because a, a DNA chain, it, it's just so big. There's so much information. Um, 
it would take so bloody long if you had to read it. Like if, if you translated it into letters and read it like a book, there'd just be so much of it. Um, I think if there's a way to almost like compress that, the way you compress a file, like if there's a way that you can um, bring, um, if you can bring a lot of that information into a more easily understandable format, um, if it can make it feel simpler, uh, if it if it can make it sound beautiful, I think that's already a good sign that you're on the right track. But if it but it's also if it can make this very complex thing feel simpler than it does when you're looking at uh, an ACTG sequence, that I think is uh, is what is necessary for there to be real value there. Otherwise, it's yeah a neat idea and a neat toy. But if it can actually make the code itself feels simpler to the person listening to it. Um, that would, uh, I think, make a, a huge difference in how this kind of research is conducted. I feel that. Would there be a way to group the DNA and like translate it to an emotion and then to a music? Uh, some DNA. So, uh, so certain certain proteins are associated with certain emotions. So like serotonin, for example, um, antidepressants work on other animals that have serotonin because it kind of performs the same function. It performs the same feeling. So I wouldn't say all um, DNA. I mean, you, you obviously could associated to an emotion, but not all DNA would have an obvious emotion associated. You know, the, the DNA that codes for the production of serotonin, that would be actually a very obvious, um, that would be a very obvious emotion associated there. Like everyone knows the sense of being relaxed and in the flow and uh, joyful and happy. Um, or like dopamine, that's actually, um, that's actually a very interesting approach because you can tell whether you've hit that emotion from a musical composition um i really like that because it uh it has almost this um this primal four elements kind of approach which i really like um i actually there was another book i wrote about uh four elements health and one of the things in four elements health is that it uh it has analogs in neurotransmitters so um earth, water, fire, and air have these analogs of uh, GABA, serotonin, dopamine, and acetylcholine. Um, in a traditional five elements medicine system, a deficiency in one of the five elements shows up the exact same way that a deficiency in one of these neurotransmitters shows up in modern medicine. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah. So the... Um, the idea of starting with, you know, the genes that code for these four neurotransmitters and then saying, okay, well, this is how acetylcholine feels. This is how dopamine feels. Let's find a musical um, schema, a musical code that um, reliably, you know, the same, the, the same uh, cipher, so to speak, creates an acetylcholine feel for the acetylcholine DNA and a dopamine feel for the dopamine DNA. If you had that, um, then you'd know you have it. Yeah, that's actually, that's really good. 
um, you'd still have to make sure, you know, um, uh, a, a dopamine feeling music to me might be stressful or uh, put you to sleep <laughs> to you. Yeah. It, uh, it wouldn't be the same for everyone, but um, I think you could definitely see if there's, uh, if there's a gen generally the same response. I, it never occurred to me to to look at the, yeah the emotions of music and the emotions of the DNA, but you you totally that could be uh, that could be the the corner to focus in on. It's a really good idea. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. Happy to happy to help. <laughs> uh, just curious when thinking about DNA sequence. So how is it specifically? We talked about those specific proteins. Is it like there's stuff mm -hmm. between those specific proteins or is it like some DNA is completely isolated from those specific proteins? Do you, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Like it's protein, uh, protein, or is it more like protein and then like something completely different over here that doesn't code for anything? Yeah, yeah. It, well, it doesn't code for anything we know. Um, I think something like... It's been a while since I've taken this class, but between like five and 12% of the DNA chain actually codes for protein. Um, and then another significant chunk was just left there by viruses uh, transcribing in, uh, in our ancient history. But then there's also a part that definitely like, it seems important, but we just don't really know what it does. Um, there's, uh, and, and this is where, to my thinking, the um, the musical analogy or the program analogy, for that matter, might come in. You know, you've got a you've got a set of instructions. Um, that's the the coding part, the part that actually makes proteins. Um, and then there seems to be a lot that's just uh, involved in determining what subsection of that five percent is active at any given time. Um, and that, of course, it depends a lot on the type of cell it's in, the type of cells that are near it. Uh, there's a lot that happens there. And I, unless there's been some breakthroughs that I don't know about, there's a lot that we just don't know about that. And it's the biggest part. It's like 40 to 50%, I think. Uh, I, I imagine if there's some actual biologists listening to this podcast, they're tearing their hair out now because uh, <laughs> this is all like... An undergraduate class and uh, and some biohacking courses uh, a number of years ago now, but um, then the the non coding part uh, and when they say DNA is coding or non coding, it's just like does it get transcribed into RNA that makes proteins or is it kind of hanging out and um, it might affect which of those uh, which RNA gets made, but we're not really sure how. Um, the, uh, the, the non-coding part is definitely the biggest part. Um, and it's actually, it's pretty interesting that, uh, we're at a point now where in theory we can make a, uh, a cell and a DNA chain entirely from scratch. Um, we can put all the, all the code that we want into it. Um, but when they do this, the cells don't really do anything. We we're still missing something about what gets a cell, like what gets the DNA doing its thing. Um, there's definitely something unknown there. Um, I'm actually, I'm not so sure uh, if we, if we do make like a, a music analog of, uh, of DNA 
um, we should probably start, or I would start because uh, I'm I'm an amateur and I try the easiest thing first. Uh, I would start with just uh, you know the the gene that codes for dopamine, for example. Um, if you know if you know what the what the uh, protein the the dopamine protein is made of, um, if, if you know the amino acid sequence, you can. Uh, Re, uh, reverse engineer the DNA sequence from there, and then you know try to associate that with a, a musical schema. So, uh, if even if we do manage to do that, I think there's still a huge mystery in the non-coding portions of DNA um, how they do what they do um, and what it is exactly that they do. Because we we kind of uh, we know we don't really know how to kickstart a cell. With just a, a logical DNA sequence, there's something else that's necessary, but we don't really know what that is or why it's necessary. It's uh, it's a pretty mysterious field. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Hmm. Well, maybe you start lining it up with musical logic and you find some breakthrough that takes us further in our DNA studies. Wouldn't that be Well, awesome? that's the... That's the BHAG, yes. Um, yeah. I, I, do, I do think that um, we're looking at DNA a little too logically. I think, the, um, I think the, the kind of meaning that one finds in music is maybe a little closer to, to how that works. And um, I, I think that's why I think it's uh, yeah, worth, um, worth investigating. Yeah. And I like that you say we're looking at it too logically, because the reason I asked about mapping DNA to emotion, then to music was because mm -hmm. the things that are similar in my head between the two is our experience. Like we experience mm -hmm. music and DNA kind of makes up our experience. And so if you can mm -hmm. map the thing that links those two experiences, which in my head was emotion, which is why I asked about it. Um, mm -hmm. you, know, you might get somewhere. And so that non-coding part, you know, if it like, if it does make up part of our experience, maybe it's worthless, but you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what would be interesting is if you could get a, like, if you could get a musical cipher that, uh, that does reliably, you know, give a dopamine feel for the music for a dopamine coding yeah. stretch of DNA. Um, if you did that, uh, and then you played like you you used that same cipher on the known coding part, and it was like just ah, that sounds off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's the like that's maybe the fear. Like oh, we don't actually like <laughs> yeah. certain things we uh, we just can't comprehend or something like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, that's funny, man. That'd be cool. I'll, I'll look forward to when it comes mm. out. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Thanks so much. Yeah. Awesome. Well, any other dreams or goals that you want to chat about before we move on? Oh goodness! You know those are those are enough to keep me busy for a while now. <laughs> I feel you. Um, I really, I really appreciate the uh, the lead actually on um, on the uh, on focusing on emotions because yeah, I I do believe you can associate specific feelings with um, specific stretches of DNA and. Um, yeah, if you can transcribe those into, uh, like, if you can find one way of translating that gets all of those, um, that that hits all of those, then I think you you know you've got something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
That's awesome. Well, shout me out when you get all famous. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's going to be cool. I um I look forward to our grandkids reading the history book on DNA and references this conversation <laughs> i i feel like uh you know our, our grandkids would probably have like a archives of uh of podcasts yeah. <laughs> from the early 21st century yeah absolutely. Just swear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's a big reason why i go on podcasts because i think they're you know you never know where those two minutes of riffing are gonna uh, really inspire someone to do what they're uh there to do and yeah. I, I think that's just so valuable. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it'll it'll be the smallest thing too. Like some offhand mm. thing you said that just does it for somebody, you oh, know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, cool, man. We're, we have a couple more questions for you. So we're going to run through them kind of quick. What are the top sure. one to two skills that you need to develop right now to make these two hacks come true? Hmm. Uh, I would say marketing, um, marketing, particularly for the um, boy, for the buoyant brick. If I can, you know, if I can press a, a cool brick in my backyard, well, that's neat. But uh, probably not a lot of people are going to care unless I can get it in front of people who are lo- are looking for that kind of thing. So that would be uh, that would be one thing. Um, the other is probably uh, just just a, a deeper understanding of electronic music and how to uh, how to produce how to you know mix and produce electronic music. Probably, uh, I would probably just start with like a, a synthesizer of some kind. Um, and I, yeah, I, I imagine that there are probably libraries. I would, um, I'd of course be you know telling a computer to uh, to play it for me. So I wouldn't have to learn the motor skills, but just more understanding of how to uh, how to work with tones in that way would um, would would be necessary to really, I think, get a a good breakthrough uh, yeah. in that kind of cipher. I got you. I got you. Do you think you'll beat uh, Chat GPT to the answer? <laughs> I asked ChatGPT about this, and it said, uh, I'm not connected to the internet and can't look up the DNA code for this. <laughs> oh, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. <laughs> um, If, uh, if ChatGPT can help me, I, uh, I am definitely happy to give it credit. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd love to... I'd love to see um anyone come up with an innovation in either of these areas um if uh if if that's chat gpt then uh i i welcome our um chatbot overlords (laughs) (laughs) there we go there we go well what are the highest impact daily actions that are going to tick the needle forward towards your dreams and goals Mm, i think um i think sitting down you know, more, more and more as I work on challenging projects, I think just sitting down and, uh, you know, setting, I, I use the Pomodoro te- tactics. So I like, I'll, I'll actually set a timer um, and just doing that, doing that consistently. Um, even just, uh, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, just sitting down and not thinking about anything except 
uh, the problem and what I'm going to do next. Um, yep. Consistency with that, I, I really find that in any difficult creative endeavor, uh, that's been key for me whenever I've succeeded is just uh, having the discipline and the willingness to you know face the blank page. There we go. Well, this question might be a little bit redundant, but I'm asking anyway. What character trait do you most need to develop right now to make your dream life come true? Hmm. I think bravery, um, particularly the, uh, you know, the, the, the DNA coding thing, um, doesn't require much bravery. It just requires curiosity and, uh, the, the willingness to learn about musical theory, which, um, I think I have both of those, but the, um, the, the modular buoyant brick, um, that is, it feels like a bit more of a challenge. And um, I think it it feels that way because there's there's kind of a, a significant um, financial investment that would be necessary, mm -hmm. which would be, of course, scary to not recoup. But there's also a lot of just um, being out in front of people. Like even with uh, the investment to make a prototype, um, what I would really need is someone willing to place a large order or make a large investment. I would need some kind of someone outside of me to take a bet on me. And uh, even just asking is pretty scary. So uh, I think more bravery around that kind of thing is uh, is the, the character trait that I would most need. I got you. I got you. Well, awesome. If there were one or two people that you could meet right now, and it could be a specific person or a type of person, and they'd really help you take that next step towards these two dreams and goals, who would that person be and how would they help you? Hmm. Um, I'd say for the the floating brick idea, um, it would have to be someone who is quite into um, seasteading, which is, uh, there, there are seasteading communities, but... Um, it tends to be the kind of people who uh, aren't all that social to begin with. So maybe like uh, sociable seasteaders that are that are looking to try and make a prototype happen. Um, that would be the type of person uh, for that. For um, for the DNA to music thing, um, what I would what I would probably need most is you know, someone who's got a better understanding of musical theory than myself and is, uh, is willing to, you know, take that deep dive, make some, make some Pink Floyd sounding uh, tunes um, and really like show me uh, why this kind of, uh, this kind of sequence feels this way, that kind of sequence feels that way. Um, and maybe, uh, maybe have the kind of um, jam session that leads to something kind of good uh someone someone with a musical background to uh to work with the uh the technical and the programming background that i have uh so what i imagine would be kind of i would um i'd implement a cipher we'd listen to it they'd say you know you probably want to tweak it this way um what can we do there and uh, and collaborate in that way that would be the uh that would be the biggest help i think with that mm. i got you i got you there we go i feel like those two people 
I specifically the music theory person might be like <laughs> a LinkedIn connection away. Could well be, yeah. That's uh, it's true. Um, musical theory is musical theory is uh, it's got a lot of people that play with it. It's a good point. You think there's a professor um, out there that loves musical theory and also has a hobby around kind of science DNA? Hmm. Um. There's there's probably a couple. Do you have someone particular in mind? No, I have no idea. Uh, I, I just figured there would be. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, uh, I have a, I have a professor friend who was very interested in getting me to teach him about some the mathematics of quantum mechanics, and uh, I was getting him to teach me about uh, musical theory. We've not been in touch lately, but uh, would be. Um, yeah, it would be someone, maybe even a music teacher, like someone that uh, that I can start out by just hiring and saying, "Hey, this is the this is the kind of music that I want to create. Um, can you work with me on this?" Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, you kind of already answered this question, but maybe you want to add to it. What is an action step you could take right now? to either meet that sociable seasteader or that person who understands music theory and can take that deep dive into how DNA would sound as music with you. Hmm. I'm talking, we get yeah, off the there's... Call, you can take it right now. <laughs> uh, I think the next step I could do is definitely is to search for uh, musical tutors. Um, probably Upwork. I've had I've met some good contractors on Upwork. Um, find some people who uh, who do tutoring, who are into um, who are into uh, digital music. Because I think we would start out by you know coding um, coding tones and notes, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, put out a put out a contract for um, for a, maybe a certain number of hours. Uh, tutoring me or working with me on this uh, composition or these four compositions. Um, yeah, I, I think Upwork would be definitely the place for, um, for the, for the musical expert, uh, the, the sociable seasteaders. I don't know. They, um, they're, I, I am a member of some seasteading communities, but uh, they, they don't tend to like advertising. <laughs> it attracts a particular type, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, maybe there's a Facebook group or something, but I'm sure you would know about it if there was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is a Facebook group. It's not not that active, but. Uh... <laughs> I got you. I got you. You just got to get Probably on. Probably a subreddit also. Yeah. Oh, there's definitely a subreddit. 100%. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. What you got to do, you got to build that first brick, get it on TikTok, go viral, and then people will flock to you. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the uh, that that first brick. Yep. There we go. All right, we got a couple more questions. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. What is one limiting belief that continues to pop up in your life, if any? Hmm. There, of course, it's hard to fully articulate uh, a limiting belief. Um. I think just the idea that um, 
I need to fail a lot before succeeding. Um, mm. That's uh, it's something that uh, I think is true in some sense. Uh, there needs to be a, a willingness to fail, but I think the expectation of failing a lot also leads you to be maybe more uh, cautious or uh, you know plan for a longer journey than you actually need and therefore delay setting out. Um, so that's probably, uh, in my case, it's, it's been one thing that, uh, you know, I've, I've failed, uh, I failed a number of times, uh, mostly in small ways, but also in big ways. And, uh, I think the, there, there's a lot of lessons learned from that, of course, which tells you a better way to, to approach the same kind of thing. The next time, but it also uh, makes it a lot harder because you know you have some sunk costs that you can't recover. So I think the the idea that uh, things probably won't work out the way I expect them to right away um, does tend to make me um, take a bit longer on things than uh, than I otherwise would. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. It's interesting. Do you know who Alex Hormozzi is? Uh, doesn't the name doesn't ring a bell? Gotcha. We're about to ask Alex Hormozzi. Uh, with kind of his mindset behind it a little bit in, here in a second, but he talks about you. You talked about costs not being able to be recouped when you fail, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and Alex Hormozzi talks about the fact that we all have a very large amount of debt, and that debt is in the form of an ignorance debt. And so there are things mm -hmm. we don't know that allow us to stay where we are. For example, he was like, it costs you. If you're making $50,000 a year, a month. Yeah, he he's really rich. So he talks in big numbers. If you're making $50,000 a month, <laughs> um, it costs you $950,000 a month to not know how to make a million a month. And so mm. every month, you're losing $950,000 because you don't know how to make a million a month. And it was like, if you pay $100,000 to learn how to make a million a month, and in three years you were making a million a month, like that $100,000 investment would be worth it. And so he just talks about that ignorance debt of like, we are, mm -hmm. you're paying that debt that you're talking about, the cost that you're not recouping, you're paying it either way. Mm -hmm. It's either with your time or with your money. So the question is, mm -hmm. which is more important? is kind of his thought process. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. That's a, yeah, that, that is an interesting take. Yeah. Um, Called me out on some stuff. Cause I, I I'd also procrastinate. I'd, I'd just be like, you know, it'd really suck to want these things my whole life and never get them. So it's either stop mm -hmm. wanting them and completely let them go and just live in bliss, live content or do it mm -hmm. now. <laughs> it's kind of how my thought process is <laughs> about it. But mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what's up? Oh, oh uh, just uh, it reminded me of a quote I heard. You know, if you're not content with your life, either change it or accept it, and both are hard. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Exactly. Exactly. I know we're at time. I got like two more questions for you. You got time for it? Sure. Yeah. Shoot. Awesome. So you talked about that limiting belief, the um, fact that you need to fail a lot before succeeding. If you were to change that limiting belief into an abundant phrase that really spoke to your heart, what would that phrase be? 
so uh, not not changing the belief but uh but couching it in terms of abundance um yeah if you could replace that limiting belief with an abundant belief for example mm -hmm. or but that abundant belief needs to speak to your heart because i feel like sometimes how we vocalize our limiting beliefs doesn't always necessarily get at the pain we're feeling so i really want this phrase that is abundant to speak to your heart if that makes sense Mm -hmm. I would say that uh, in that case, I would say when you go after what you truly want, um, you will always have, you will always encounter the lessons you need. Mm. There we go. I love it. We got one last question for you. You ready? Sure. So I'm going to frame this next question. Alex Hormozzi said that the difference between manipulation and help is intent. And I think his point here is that you're influencing people in both situations, but manipulation is about getting somebody to do something you want them to do, while help mm -hmm. is about seeking to understand what somebody else wants and then helping them get there. Mm -hmm. This question is going to be about help, not manipulation. Now, mm -hmm. there's a common saying that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I actually found out from Dr. Alan Leica, who was a guest on my show, that you can get a horse to drink. You just have to salt its oats. Now, I want you to think about a person with a really fixed mindset. They're not willing to accept help. They're not willing to accept change, and they hate their life. How do we, you and I, create an environment not to make the choice for them, but to salt their oats and help them change their life? I think it depends on um, what is uh, is keeping the person uh, in that static um, in that that static way of life, uh, and I'm immediately thinking about my own. You know, I said I need more bravery to uh, to move ahead. Um, I think it's a common. It's a common virtue to need to develop, but I think it's uh, it's also I'm speaking about myself in this in the in the place of this person here. I think the first thing that one would need to do is really understand um, if this person hates their life, uh, why haven't they taken that first step? What's um, what's keeping them in it? And uh, and then seeing maybe what the uh, what the balancing force uh, the the part that's there that they're not seeing is. Hmm. There we go. Awesome. Well, Chris, that's all we got for you, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Timmy. Is there Great anything else that you want to chat about before we sign off? uh no no that uh, that's that's great. I look forward to uh, to seeing the episode out. Um, where can I watch it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll send you the links after with the email. We'll post it, shoot you an email. The links will be in there, all that good stuff. Wonderful. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, if you guys liked this and you liked what Chris had to say, make sure to check him out. All the links to do so will be down in the show notes. And make sure to grab his book, Mindful Programming. Also, if you happen to know any, what were we calling them? Sociable C. Stedders. Is that correct? Sociable Seasteaders. I love go. alliterations. <laughs> <laughs> if you happen to know any of them, connect them to Chris. If you happen to understand music theory or know somebody who does, 
also connect them to Chris. Uh, thank you guys for watching. We will see you on the next one. And on that note, we're out. Guys, thanks for listening. Make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them. If you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one -on -one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals, make sure to check out the website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, and contact me either there or on social media. That's all I got. Have a blessed day.